Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. On today's episode, Ed and I talk about practicing our faith, which is the title of our current sermon series going on through the end of April. Ed is going to dig into the detail of what it means to put faith into action. Enjoy. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. And I'm Ed. So, Ed, we are a few weeks into our series on uh, on practicing our faith, and it's been so interesting. First that, of all, let that's me just good say, to hear. <laughs> uh, how did this series start? How did how did this come to be? There was a meeting that took place. Uh, I would say in the latter part of 2017 with our Center for Faith Development Committee. And that's the committee that's really entrusted with thinking about adult faith formation. So when they were thinking about this question, we had an open-ended conversation, and someone just said, what is spiritual growth anyway? Mm -hmm. We hear that comment, right? And people describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. So if people are interested in spiritual growth and we want to help that, how do we do it? Well, the committee kind of sat around the table and thought, you know what, we really don't know a lot about this ourselves. Everyone has a different take on it, so how do we get started? So uh, I went away and did a little bit of digging, found a couple of really wonderful books, um, one of them by a woman named Dorothy Bass, which is actually called Practicing Our Faith, A Way of Life for a Searching People. She was the editor of that book, and it came out in the 1990s. It became very, very popular, and uh, there's, a, there's now a new edition of it. So I looked through that, and it talked about all of these basic practices like keeping a day of the week uh, apart, the tradition of the Sabbath, and prayer, and listening, and healing, the things that you would sort of normally associate with spiritual life or with life in the church. Mm -hmm. So that sounded very, very interesting, and I read a couple of other books, and actually reached out to Dorothy Bass, uh, gave her a call. She was very receptive to that, had a lot to say about uh, this conversation. And and one of the things that she said in the conversation that has shaped the course a lot in the sermon series, she, def- she, she actually counseled us not to use the term spiritual growth because uh, in, a, in a very achievement-oriented society like ours, mm-hmm. here, here is yet one more thing that we can become <laughs> super successful at and other people will feel left behind by it and all of this sort of thing. So she said, you know what? Think more about the word aliveness. And there's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he actually says to his followers, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Mm. So abundant life is the, is the phrase that she used, you know, a flourishing life. And um, I really like that. And so that's this been kind of the, the generative word that we've been using from week to week. You know, how, does, how do these different practices help us to become more alive? Now, aliveness strikes me as one of those words that can kind of go either way. It can mm-hmm. maybe be a little problematic because you can hear people saying, oh, I felt so alive when they're doing some maybe not healthy mm-hmm. emotionally or mentally or physically uh, activities. Yes. Um, but I'm sure she means it in a, in a more spiritually positive way. I think that um, is right. So. Yeah, absolutely. She, um, and, and the question's a really good one because if... 
aliveness is defined as something that I do that may in fact harm someone else. Now we're, now we're using a vision of aliveness that's not healthy, right? right. So, you know, I would describe it, uh, aliveness, and I think the way that she describes it, as something that gives life and hope and meaning. Uh, it enhances the security and well-being of other people. And it's rooted in compassion. So these are the kinds of uh, forms of aliveness that we would want to be encouraging as people of faith. And, you know, we as a congregation, we want people to take the kinds of risks that will bring them into a more robust form of living. Mm -hmm. But when we're thinking about risk, we're thinking about what would you do to offer more service to the world? Follow the Spirit wherever it might lead. Step out in faith in a way that brings you know, goodness to other people. Those are the kinds of risks that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what, uh, what Dorothy Bass was trying to get at. And I guess the, the thing that's been helpful to me, in one of the four portraits that we have of Jesus in the New Testament, so we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, there's a section of that book called the Beatitudes. And this is basically where Jesus maps out the value system uh, of the world that he's trying to bring into being. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I would say that that's what aliveness looks like mm. when it's in practice. So fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, that's a really good place to go if you want a healthy vision of aliveness. So as you've been sharing this with the congregation over the past few weeks, what have you learned about it? Uh, so lots. And I would say the other thing about this is that one of the fun aspects of choosing a theme like this is that I get more and more questions. I think as a staff, we start to think about this. People become curious. They noticed articles, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the newspaper and all of that is a lot of fun. So I'm going to say that um, the first thing I have, have been learning about this is just how incredibly central this is to who we are as a church. So I'm, I'm reminded of a bumper sticker that I saw up in West Hartford a few years ago. It said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Which is the main thing. <laughs> this is, and this is the main thing. You know, churches get um, distracted. We mm -hmm. start thinking about all kinds of interesting or cool or fun things that we could do. Often things that have to do with building social connection. And that's good. That can mm -hmm. be healthy. But the, but it's easy to lose that heart and soul of it. You know, we're about trying to help people f create space in their lives and openness for a relationship with God, to create the space for the divine. And uh, if we miss that, we're missing the whole point. So I think the practices uh, represent the way that people can open themselves, mm -hmm. right? So even though this sounds really obvious, I think one of the things that uh, it's incredibly important to be doing at this time when the church is in such a momentous transition mm -hmm. is to be focused on what it means to actually be practicing the faith. So I would say that's my first learning that really you mm -hmm. know, has been important for me and I think we're starting to pick that up in the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. What, else? what else? You were starting to say you had a few more things. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I think uh, one I, recently I've been reading an author, uh, Anne Lamott, who's someone I really admire, and I've been reading her for a number of years. And there was a, there was a part of her book where she was talking about how hard it can be to forgive. Now, forgiveness is one of the classical Christian practices. Okay. And when you call it a practice, basically what you're admitting is it's not one and done. 
you know, especially if you've been hurt in your life by someone or something someone said or did. It's not like we walk away from that and say, yeah, I forgive that person. It's pretty much over now. Right. It doesn't work like no, that. No, it does not. And so I love two things that she talked about in this book. First of all, that when you seek to be forgiving, that's going to be a journey in and of itself. And it's like cooperating with this force for good. And I really love the way that she phrases that. You're, you're cooperating with God, and it is going to require effort and diligence, but it's a partnership. So uh-huh. you're not in it alone. That's a good thing. And I think the other thing she says is that, you know, these, these qualities, these actions like forgiveness, they, they take place bit by bit. And, you know, I would say in my personal life, I can think back to things. I'm sure there are things that I have done that people have needed to work themselves out of. And I know I've been on the receiving end of some of those things and maybe years and years ago, and they still crop up. And at, at the, when they do, I now recognize I can practice the faith by saying, here's another opportunity to cooperate with God to let it go. And it's... I think inch by inch a lot of times. Yeah, starting really small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it more accessible as well. You know, we don't just jump into the deep end of the pool. Uh, Jesus may have said to his followers, follow me. And, you know, that could have been a big turnaround, wrenching decision in their lives. But from there on out, it was basically step by step. Yeah. And I think that's true for us as well. Absolutely. Well, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of, I think you used the word mercy. A little bit ago, puts me in mind of the upcoming uh, day of Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're going to be observing here, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea of you know we say uh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, or uh, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, and then, and how you know how we are looking for forgiveness and how we then extend that mm-hmm. to others and sometimes to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Ash Wednesday is such an important day in the year because it, even though it occurs once a year, it's also about a practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that happens over and over again. And it's, it's rooted in such a simple thing. I'm sorry, really, that's how it starts off. Yeah. But it's not just that. You receive the assurance of forgiveness, but then also the promise of that power which can collaborate you to help you, you know, live the new life. I, I've heard over the years from a variety of authors that the two least utilized statements in the English language are, I'm sorry and thank you. Um, and uh, so Ash Wednesday really focuses on, I'm sorry, you know, that in some ways I have either used the powers at my disposal on occasion to harm or hurt someone or I've not used my powers in a way that I could to help someone else's life, mm-hmm. right? So it's something, it's either, uh, as the language used to say, sins of omission and sins of commission. Yeah. And so coming up here on Ash Wednesday, we get a chance to practice, maybe even to initiate a practice, right, that can sustain us in our spiritual life for a long time to come. Absolutely. So if we're starting small, Mm-hmm. Step by step, going bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some good practices we can start with? When I ask that question of some of the some of the authors of the books that I've been reading, the answer that I really loved is that you know the, the good news about the practices of faith is basically they all relate to things we're already doing anyway. Uh-huh. And so if you read through, let's just say the uh, by example the story of Jesus, well, what does he do? He eats. He talks with people. He meets new people. 
Uh, he's interacting with friends and strangers on almost a daily basis. He sleeps. Um, you know, he takes chances. These are all things that we all do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And the practices are about taking those basic things and asking, how can I stretch them out a little bit? How can I create even more space for God to come alongside me in this thing? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, just as a practical example, I used to know this uh, person who worked in um, a very demanding business in New York City, and he kept a little note on his desk Every time he received a phone call, he would look down at this note, and for a moment he would pause, and he would say a little prayer, say, you know, God, help me to be attentive in my conversation, help me to be generous, help me to be kind, receptive, or maybe firm or challenging, but to do all of that in a loving way. Mm -hmm. That was a discipline that he used to help him become a more responsible, you could say, teammate or coworker. And, but it was already something that he was doing every day, like answering the phone a thousand times, right? right? And that was a very easy way for him to get into that. I think even with families during the season of Lent, do something a little bit new or different around the table. Um, it might be one of the things we're going to be sharing with our congregation during the season of Lent um, are some prayer cards that have been produced by Bread for the World, an organization really dedicated to eliminating hunger across the globe. And so maybe a family will read the prayer, read the biblical passage, and just pause for a minute and say, is there something we could be doing as a family that maybe it's receiving a little bit of a collection once a week and then dedicating it to bread for the world. But that's a simple practice that grows out of something we do every day, which is eating together. Absolutely. I have a, in my teaching studio, I have a little sign. I have many signs. <laughs> little try, reminders. Little reminders try to be you know, inspirational. But I have one that says, instead of practice makes perfect, it says practice makes progress. Oh, I like I that. like that one. Yes. It's sort of right behind my head. Mm -hmm. So when I'm chastising them kindly and lovingly <laughs> that they need to practice more, um, they can see it right over my head. I um, <laughs> It's useful. Progress is possible. Progress is possible. Practice makes progress. So how do we know when we're making progress? Right. Yeah. So um, I, I really love that. I think I think there is a sense in which we we can't exactly measure it. You know, we don't look back at the end of the year and say, oh, I think it was about three and a half percent more faithful than last year, seven percent <laughs> right. loving, you know, or whatever it right. might be. But I'm reminded of a comment that I heard on a documentary. This was a few years ago watching a documentary about the civil rights movement. And one African-American man uh, was asked the question, uh, what was the in direct influence of Martin Luther King Jr. on him? You know, mm. not just on the big movement, but on him personally. And he said that when the civil rights movement got underway, he became more active. You know, he really became politicized. Mm -hmm. And he had this wonderful comment. Um, he said, I'm not what I should be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> and I really love that, you know. And I think we do have a sense that we're changing. You know, that's some people might not even use the word progress necessarily, but they might say, I'm changing. I, because of these practices, I think I'm less fearful than I used to be, or I'm less jittery than I used to be, or I'm more generous than I used to be, or I've taken some risks. And I think that's what happens when we practice our faith, that over time, even without being able to note it or measure it, a transformation's underway. And that's incredibly exciting because when that happens, 
people notice that around us Mm -hmm. and they say, you know, I really like the fact that you're not as, you know, anxious as you used to be (laughs) or, um, you know, and it, and it gives everyone a sense of encouragement to know that this is possible. I I would also uh, hasten to say that this is not like a straight unbroken shot, right? That really this has its ups and downs. We go backwards as well as forwards. And so all of that is part of the journey too, which is why it's so important to be humble enough to you know, ask for forgiveness when we need to, and then move forward boldly when we can. Absolutely. So what help do we need when we're starting on one or two or three? Yeah, right. <laughs> or many, right? Well, I think one thing that's, uh, that I've been learning as I've been doing the reading is that it's always great to be humble, right? There's this thing, the prophet Micah says, you know, love justice and seek mercy and walk humbly with God. And so out of humility, I would say, if, if, if practicing the faith seems like it's calling to you, it's good to start with one, you know, right? To start there and then kind of let that grow and see what, what other practices. My, my sense is if, you, if you're starting on one, eventually you're going to hit on a lot of others at the same time. They're all connected. Sure. But uh, I think the one thing that's so important for this, it's the gift of community. You know, I think we do... We do experience joy in these practices when we have a sense that we're not just doing them alone, but we can do them together. I think it's fun when a congregation can find one practice that it wants to do together over a period of time, four to five weeks, you know, everyone's going to say a prayer together at 7.23 in the morning or whatever it is. You get the sense, okay, I'm, I'm not alone. I think there's an African proverb that says, you know, if you want to walk uh, fast, walk alone. But if you want to walk far, walk together. Mm. And so community helps very, very much. I think the other thing that helps is just plain old curiosity. You start off with a sort of an experimental frame of mind. Like, I wonder what will happen if mm-hmm. I start off every day by offering gratitude for three things. And I know people who are doing that, and I've been trying that. I think it makes a tremendous difference. So what if I decide to take a certain percentage of my income and I'm going to dedicate that to a cause that matters to me? That can be another way of of starting off. So it's curiosity. And I guess the last thing I would say is to have fun with it. That's really important. You know, I served a church once that really had uh, quite a long kind of recovery in front of it. And I invited a guest preacher to come who was a friend of mine. And at the end of his sermon, um, he said, I've got one last thing to say to you. And I thought, oh, he's going to offer this like really, you know, heavy kind of inspiring word or something. (laughs) And he just said, have fun. Just enjoy the journey and see where it leads. So that's, you know, having curiosity, community and having fun, a little comedy that can be. A good thing. I like that. Like our, our children were recording quite near yes. today are having lots of fun. They're having a great time, you know. So, hey, here we are. We're recording. There's there's life going on around us, yeah. right? We're not blocked out from it. And truth be told, uh, whatever we do with these practices, they're going to be navigated with a lot of other things intruding, wanted or unwanted, right? Yeah, At least yeah. Sound of Children. That's a really happy, good thing. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> do you have a thought for the day to leave us with it? I think my thought for the day is uh, going back to a comment that Jesus made is that unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I think children can be, you know, really interesting to watch in terms of the way they practice faith and practice life. That's a lot of fun and a lot of curiosity. So that's a good lead for us. That's great. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.